TYB On The Run with your host, Katie Haldane. Hi, TYB On The Run. Well, welcome to the Book of Revelation Summary. These are these great podcasts. We're going to do 20 minutes just the summary of what this book is all about so that you get an overview, kind of like a helicopter coming up. We're going to give you an overview. And then the chapter TYB on the runs will kind of come down and land in the book. Okay. What this podcast is not, this podcast is not about end time. So if you are here to learn about dispensational blueprint, millennial rapture theology, then no, I am not the person to teach you that. (laughs) I understand that. I understand the teaching on that. I I understand the interpretation of the book of Revelation, preterist, uh, futurist. I understand all the different, four different interpretations. I taught end times for 10 years. I understand it, but what I want to do in this podcast is free the book of Revelation from those interpretations. They are later interpretations imposed upon the text. It's like putting a tablecloth over a a beautiful wooden table and saying this is what the table has to look like from now on. That's an interpretation being put upon a text. I want to take the stupid tablecloth off Take the fear, judgment, hellfire, damnation preaching that we all go into when we read the book of Revelation. Oh, my gosh, some podcasts, sorry, some Instagram posts, I want to say stop using that book for such horrible purposes. It's a book of hope. It's a book of power. Let's get back to the original intention of the book of Revelation. Okay, so if you are with me, TYB, and you are able to put a Bible in front of you, please do that because we are really going to go through the structure of the text in the next 20 minutes. And I'm hopefully going to change your mind about this book. Okay, context, context, context. You know me by now, TYB. Everything I do has to be based in the context of the time. This is a book written in 90s, 95 AD by author John. And I'm in the chapter one, I'll go through what that looks like, who he is, or um, is he the disciple? Is he a seer? Is he a prophet? What does he look like? But there was an original intention for this text. And you will not get the original intention of the imagery, the original intention of the words until you read context. Let me give you a classic example of this. I pick up a piece of paper and um, or something and I read it and it says a group of people with masks on. Okay, so I want to know and have the right imagery in my head of what that group of people with masks on look like. If I then, to get that imagery right, I have to go back into the context and find out author date background. I have to find out what date that was written. Why? Because if a group of people with masks on in 18th century Venice is going to look very different to a group of people with masks on in 2020 in Australia, for example. The one mask is going to be a mask of celebration. It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be party atmosphere. And it's going to a group of people with masks on. That photo is supposed to represent joy and life. The other photo a group of people with masks on is supposed to represent survival, surgical. It's it's clinical. It's surviving a pandemic, okay? One is supposed to, by one word, if I don't get the context right, I can use what was supposed to be celebration and joy masks and make it something of hellfire and damnation and judgment, and it simply was never meant to be because you didn't put it back into the right context. Let me give you a classic example in Revelation 21.1. I've said this before, but let me say it again. It says in 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. Now, every surfer, in the world is devastated because Revelation 21.1 says there's no sea in heaven, so there's no surfing. 
if I pull it out of context and put it into my time context. Let me put that back into context. Revelation 21.1 is the section of of the Revelation where we see the new heaven and the new earth. Now, I know in Revelation that the sea is where all the evil creatures come from, the sea and the land. So, the sea beasts come from the sea and the land. So if I'm putting that back into the context of the of the story, where it says there was no longer any sea, it's basically saying there's no longer any evil. There's no longer any portal for those evil pe- creatures to come upon the earth. How cool is that? So surface, be redeemed. Keep it in the right context because that word can be manipulated to make it something of misery when it's actually supposed to be something of hope. And that is my job in this podcast to stop you reading this as a book of misery and start reading this as a book of hope. Okay, let's do a structure, guys. Let's have a look at a structure because if I'm going to read a book that I get quite overwhelmed with, let's helicopter up and let's have a look at the overview, before I delve into things, before I jump down into the mess of the mud, let's helicopter up and let's have a look at what it looks like. Revelation 1 sets you up. Okay, it tells you where the revelation is from. It gives you a vision of Jesus, which is supposed to keep throughout the whole text. And it gives you the declarations of the text. It says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was and who is and who is to come. I'm going to go through that in Revelation 1. It's basically saying, guys, I'm about to prophesy to your present. I'm about to tell you, prophesy foretelling, about to tell you what happened in the past and explain it all to you. And I'm about to prophesy to your future. So we've got this incredible prophetic moment and that revelation one sets you up. If I am going a bit too fast, guys, please slow me down or stop me, but I want to get through this in 20 minutes. (laughs) We're about to do six years of study in 20 minutes. Now, chapter two, through to chapter three, they are the letters to Asia Minor. Okay, so they are Asia Minor specific. The language is going to be Asia Minor specific. Nicolaitans was a cult of Nicholas at that time. If you want to know what's happening in those chapter two and three, you have to study the cities of Asia Minor. Okay, don't start pulling them out and making them something that they're not. Don't keep them in the context of the cities of Asia Minor. If you want to know what the synagogue of Satan is, study what was happening in the Jewish community of that city. If you want to know what the temple of Satan is, study what was happening in the Greco-Roman world in that community. Let me give you an example. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold in Laodicea. I wish people would stop preaching this, that there are two sections or arms of Christianity, those who are on fire and those who are not. And most Pentecostals go, oh, those who are on fire are us because, you know, (laughs) it's elitism. Stop preaching that. What in Laodicea, if I put that imagery again, sea is not, no surfing, put the imagery back into the context where he says in Laodicea, neither hot nor cold. There were um, Roman aqueducts that sent water because Laodicea needed to have water sent to it, right? And these this water would send boiling hot water and and cold water. And he's not saying, oh, you know, they're both teams within Christianity. What he's saying is this. You are either Christian or you're not because you either have to be hot. Boiling water is great. Hot water is amazing, both useful, but lukewarm water is useless. If you're in the middle, you're useless. That that, that doesn't work for anybody. You've either got to be boiling hot for Jesus or cold. Or on the, on the, and he's going to present it in the rest of the text. Again, keep the imagery within the context of the actual story. For the rest of the text, he shows you you're either on this team or you're on 
Satan's team. You're either on God's team or Satan's team. And he presents the two sides. And we're going to go through that as we study it. So this neither hot nor cold is not two representations of Christianity. It is you are either Christian or not. You've either got the seal of Christ or the mark of the beast, basically, in Revelation terms. Okay, so that is chapter 1, 2, and 3. From 4 to 16, how do I know that there's change? Because we actually have this change of scenery. He says, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. So 1 to 3 is all in Patmos. It's kind of all very much grounded in Asia Minor of that time, and you have to get the imagery from Asia Minor of that time. Okay. After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. This is chapter four, one. And the voice I heard speaking to me said, come up here. So we now go up there. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. We've now gone to throne room. We've now, John's been taken up into the throne room. Why? Because from four to 16, he's about to see a cosmological battle to restore God's kingdom to the earth. The whole point of the book of Revelation, the prayer, Lord's prayer, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This book shows how that will happen. (laughs) So John in 4 to 16 is taken up and he's like, you remember Jesus, remember Jesus said, pray, you know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, glorified be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you like me to show you how that's about, how that happens in the end? Let me show you how that happens. And he pulls John up and from 4 to 16, John gets this cosmological, incredible backstage scene of how God restores justice and order to the earth. Now, Number one rule of chapter four to 16, it's not about you. (laughs) Some people are like, oh my gosh, where am I? Am I on the earth? Does that mean I die on the earth? Because the earth is, oh my gosh. That is like saying when we watch the Avengers and the portal above New York, poor New York, it's always above New York. Why would you live in New York? They always have a portal above New York. They're always fighting over New York, (laughs) which I love New York. So there's there's this cosmological battle between the Avengers and good and the, the evil, and there's this battle happening, and all you're obsessed with is where am I in this battle? No, that's not the point of the Avengers. The point of the Avengers is we've got to take justice back to the earth. Now, does that not mean that God doesn't care about you and this is so he's just going to destroy you no that doesn't mean it because you know your god and you know your god is good but the purpose of the book of revelation is to take you up to a heavenly perspective of his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven he is going to restore right back to his presence being able to reside on the new heaven and the new earth okay so what does that look like when we do this you are going to see seals crack it's like it's like this what's been waiting imagine god father god up in heaven he had the earth he had everything it was his it was two trees and it got restored not restored it got taken away sin came in and we were separated from him imagine that moment and he at that point is separated from humanity from his creation 
Creation itself, trees are groaning in anticipation for the time that they will be redeemed and restored back to their original. We have not seen flowers or trees or creation like in its original intention because we are still under this earth, is still under the curse. We know that. I'm sick of sickness. Are you sick of sickness? I'm sick of sickness. I cannot wait for the day where the restoration of the presence of Yahweh comes back to the new heaven and the new earth and everything is restored back. So in Genesis, we have this thing, sin, Satan comes in, and now it's kind of like Satan is controlling, not controlling in, in pure controlling because Jesus came to break that. But Satan is the prince of the air. He's across this earth, and, and we've got this battle. We have to bring heaven to earth. We have to pray, and we have to do these things. Now, God goes into a mountain. That's the only place he could reside on Mount Sinai. God then goes into a tent because he couldn't. he's not allowed out of his tent because he, he, his presence is so glorious, God goes into a temple, gets put in a house. He is not allowed to come out of the house. Jesus comes and dies and starts this process of sick, hell and death and sickness being broken. And he starts the process, but it's still going, guys. You can feel it. We live in the now, but not yet. It's still going. We haven't got God's presence fully restored to earth yet. We haven't got his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that every day, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I cannot wait for the day where God's righteousness and justice is restored to this earth. Now we come through. We come through in, into history and we come to this point. Now, whatever this point happens, now what happens in the seals, this scroll that is this moment documenting the justice of God restoring to the earth starts to crack, the seals start to open. And every time a seal, a trumpet or a bowl happens, it's impacting the earth because that is where it never impacts heaven. <laughs> Have a look at it, people. It never impacts heaven. Heaven sends these almost justice riders, sends these warriors down to earth to bring God's kingdom back to the evil earth. This is the cosmological battle between earth and God's kingdom and it's this moment where he's like, I'm taking it back, people. I'm sick of you being in control down there. I'm sick of economic disorder. I'm sick of even the creation down here. I'm sick of all this stuff. He's sick of sick. And he says in this moment, he's saying, I am going to restore everything. I'm going to restore economic order. I'm going to restore justice. I'm going to restore everything that people have strongholds in. I'm going to remove it. If you have a stronghold in, econ in the economy of this world, get ready, people, because that is going to be removed. So as you read 4 to 16, imagine John watching this cosmological battle, just like you watching the Avengers. Now, just like when you're watching this cosmological battle, you get reprieves. You get moments in 4 to 16 where God kind of fills you in and he's like, hang on a second, I know this cosmological battle, you know, the seals, the trumpets and the bowls are all happening and I'm restoring my kingdom to this earth. And before I restore my kingdom to this earth, I have to judge the evil that was on this earth. And then what he does is he kind of fills you in and he says, okay, let me tell you about the 144,000. And you have got to throughout the text Notice the declaration and worship of heaven. Every time the angels worship, don't switch off because they are declaring what God's plan is and what he's up to in the restoration of his kingdom, okay? Notice that. So we go through the 144,000. We go through the seventh seal and the golden censer. Every time there is 
uh, sorry, seals, trumpets and bowls, six are enacted and then the seventh is kind of left a little bit out. It's just kind of a really cool literary style, six enacted and then the seventh kind of couples a little bit later. So we've then got the angel and the little scroll declaring and showing these beautiful moments of the victory of the lamb. Jesus comes as the lamb. Every imagery in this book, guys, now listen to me, TYB, every imagery in this book, the key to knowing the imagery in this book is to read your Bible. The reason that we mistranslate or misinterpret Revelation is we don't know the Old Testament. I'm going to go through this when we go through the chapters. Over 400 plus allusions, meaning what? Meaning just words, just one slight image, allusions to the Hebrew scriptures. Now, what we do is because we don't know our Hebrew scriptures well enough, we take it out of context and make it something that it's not. Context, context, context. Every time you don't understand an imagery, you go back to your Bible, Hebrew scriptures and New Testament. Jesus is the lamb. Why? Because in the New Testament, he's the lamb. Plus in the Old Testament, he's the um, the Passover lamb. Okay. So every image has the key in the Hebrew scriptures or in the biblical story as a whole or in Greco-Roman society. There's two ways to look at it. And that's how you do your imagery in the book of Revelation. I don't understand what this imagery is. Um, I, I look at it in the biblical text and then I look at it in Greco-Roman and that will help it come alive. Okay. The two witnesses again, just showing the re- restoration of God back on the earth, the trumpets, the woman and the dragon. Let me just address this. The woman and the dragon. Remember I said in the beginning, in the, in the beginning chapter, who is, who was, who is to come? Basically saying, I'm about to tell you present. I'm about to prophesy into your present, prophesy into your past, explain your past, and, and show you how his kingdom's coming in the future. Revelation 12 is past. Women in Greco-Roman society were represented because in Greco-Roman society, they don't have books, remember? They, they are read these things. They're an illiterate society. So their imagery around the city informed them. That was their modern-day televisions. The statues, the fascias, the Greco-Roman plays, that is how they were informed of what was happening in the empire, what was happening in their cities. It was all around them. Now, in the imagery of the Greco-Roman time, a woman, Roma, she was always, Rome was always represented as a woman, Roma, and she was always magnificently dressed in a toga. She was always very beautiful and she always was over the top of other nations and she was always quite prominent. Now, In 12, we have the woman, the representation of the the nation of Israel, birthing the Messiah. Okay, so we've got this woman. She goes into the wilderness. Again, why is wilderness there? Think Hebrew scriptures. When you don't understand a theme, go back to your Bible. Don't put it, don't manipulate the text into something that it's not because you don't understand your Hebrew scriptures well enough. Okay, chapter 13, the beast. So we've got this, how did this earth get so bad? How did it get so bad? And he says, look. Let me show you in chapter 13, a beast came out of the sea and he's been ruling on this earth and he has this false prophet and he, and he's showing you how, why he has to do this, why he has to take earth back, why he has to restore this because Satan has been ruling and reigning on this earth long enough. And he's like, it's long enough for the dragon and his two little bystanders, his two little beasts. It's long enough for them to have, have the people. It's long enough for the martyrs. People, Christians that are getting killed because of of the sake of Christ. It's long enough. And God in this book is saying, enough, I'm coming back. And it's a promise to us to say, yes, his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. We don't know when. We don't know at what point. But boy, are we going to do our best to make it happen in the spiritual realm now until it happens in the natural later. So when we get to 16, we are at the end of God's wrath. He is, he is 
bringing the evil earth to justice. And then from 1718 um, to 19, we actually have this finality moment. This is kind of like the moment where, you know, in the Avengers where everything's going wrong and, you know, it's just this battle and you're like, oh, my gosh, you're not sure who's going to win. And it's like, oh, my gosh, there's not, it's not ever a battle in the sense of, evil and good but he kind of you kind of get the gist of why this battle has to happen now in 1718 this is the moment where they they he's like i'm done the prostitute is is fallen the the battle is over earth is is now being restored to god and we get this babylon moment where the prostitute is fallen and earth is about to be completely restored from 19 onwards again 19, 20, 21, and 22, this is the eternal state. This is his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In 19, Jesus comes back and he ushers in God's kingdom. It's the coolest moment. It's like when, you know, ushering the hero comes back and he's got all the army behind him and the army doesn't fight any battle. Let me hear you people. The army does not fight the enemy. Read your Bible. Stop saying that we're going to go and fight certain people. It's not true. The army does not fight. It happens by the word of Jesus. It's so cool. Jesus goes in and gets the final evil and the final you know, destruction of the earth and he comes back, the second coming of Jesus, and I cannot wait for that moment. Okay, we then have 20, 21, 22, what this eternal state looks like. It's this beautiful moment, judgment of Satan finally. We, we, we are all on this chosen team and then in 21, new heaven and new earth. There is no temple because he's not locked in a box anymore. There is no evil. It is God dwelling with us here on earth. Imagine this moment where we get to walk with him in the new heaven and the new earth. What does it look like? Probably earth. <laughs> We're not going to be on clouds because it looks like earth. He created earth. It's probably going to be a renewed earth. We're going to live back here, people. We're not going to, I'm not living on a cloud up there. That was a temporary dwelling place until this moment happens. And I'm not going to live in a tw- temporary dwelling place while Satan controls the earth. Heaven and earth are going to collide and God is going to take it back. How cool is that? Okay. We then have the new Jerusalem. She is a representative of the beautiful city of God. Are we all going to live in Jerusalem? Possibly not. Again, the imagery of the Bible has to be unlocked in the Hebrew scriptures. Jerusalem is the epic, beautiful city of God. And that is what he's saying. We're going to be restored to a beautiful earth and the earth will be the city of God. And 22, Eden is restored. And then we have epilogue, this final moment where he finishes the whole thing and he's like, whoa, that was a big battle. That was so incredible. And the thing that I want you to focus on is not the beast and not the Antichrist, not everything that's happening. What I want you to focus on is I'm coming back soon. I'm going to bring my kingdom. Are you ready? for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Are you ready? Are you? I, do you know that this is going to happen? This isn't a fantasy when we pray his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It is actually going to happen. Why? Because Revelation told me so. My, you know that's, that song, the Bible, Bible told me so? Revelation told me so that his kingdom is going to come back on earth as it is in heaven, and I cannot wait for that moment. So jump into this text. Jump into TYB on the run, Revelation 1. We're going to go through different chapters of this book. Again, keep the book alive. Keep the book full of hope. If you keep it in context, it will always be a book of worship. It is about God's restoration of his kingdom to this earth, and I cannot wait for it. Have fun as you read it, guys.